Well, good morning. How's everyone today? Good, good. Glad to have you here. Uh, we're going to continue in the series we launched a few weeks ago entitled In the Valley. Uh, my name is Jack Guerra. I'm one of the pastors here at Spring Lake. And as we go through this series, I kind of want to give you a, a heads up and kind of an encouragement with it. Some of you, as we talk through In the Valley and the different seasons we'll hit of the valley, it's hitting where you are right now. For others of you, this is a great good to know series. I want to encourage you, no matter where you are, put this series in your back pocket. Because the one thing I've learned, this was my ninth year in Green Bay, is when we start hitting November, December, January, February, whether it's seasonal or situational, man, depression, valley seasons hit. And I'm hoping this message is more than just a Sunday morning message. I'm hoping this whole series is more than just a good to know for one Sunday. I'm hoping it can be reference material for whatever may come at you in life in the months ahead. So just kind of a, a forewarning to put that in the back of your head, to, to maybe earmark this if you want to go on YouTube or on the website and mark these messages. Because they, if they're not helpful now, I can promise you they will be at some point in life. Because we all go through, the, through seasons in the valley. Now today we're going to be talking from Psalm 73. If you want to turn there. And your Bibles, if you want to turn on your Bibles, uh, go to Psalm 73. If you just want to Google Psalm 73, it'll take you right to the passage we're going to look at today. And what we're going to talk about is that part of life that ends up in a valley where it feels like life's not fair. When is the last time you either said out loud or thought to yourself, life's not fair? And you don't have to be 12 years old to think life's not fair. It's not because you didn't get kicked, picked for the kickball team or somebody else got the, the, you know, the friend group and you thought life's not fair. It happens in adulthood too. We look around us and it's very easy to think life isn't fair. Some of you in the room are hearing what I'm saying and it's been a while. You look at where you are and you're saying, you know, life is gone as expected, it's as good as hoped for. Things seem pretty good. All my loved ones are healthy and doing well. The bills are all paid. Things are good. Everything seems fair. The job's working out. The neighbors are nice. Life feels good. Others of you, by recent evaluation, look around and maybe a loved one has gotten sick or maybe died. Maybe every month the money comes up short. Your boss may be a jerk. Worse than that, they may have shown you the door. And you look at it, and it's hard enough to go through these situations, but it's even worse when you're trying to do it right, and people who are less than moral, less than high character, less than, uh, than what we would call a godly individual, are getting all the breaks. It just seems like life's not fair. You studied your way to a C-, and they cheated their way to an A. Life's not fair. You worked hard for the promotion, and they backstabbed and lied their way into the position that you wanted. Life's not fair. You poured yourself into that marriage, and they lied and cheated and smiled their way out the door, and you are crushed. Life's not fair. You prayed, and nothing happened. They lived like the devil, and it all worked out. Life doesn't seem fair. It's not fair. God, why am I always the one on the short end of the stick? 
Why does everyone else always get the breaks, the blessing upon blessing? And some people think, well, you're a pastor, so you really don't understand this. And actually heard that a few weeks ago. I went on a road trip and visited a bunch of family. And one of the family members I visited took me to meet one of their friends who's going through something very similar to what Gina just went through. Uh, he's got prostate cancer. Uh, and he's, he's actually not able to get out of the house. So he's been joining Spring Lake Online from South Carolina. But he talked to me about my wife's cancer and everything that went on. And then he said to me, he said, you know, being a pastor, I thought you would get a pass with this. And I said, if I got a pass, it got lost in the mail. Life's not always fair. Doesn't it feel good to be in church today? <laughs> in this series, we're talking about going through the valley or being in a valley and watching life unfold in a way that feels unfair can be depressing. It can feel hopeless. You get to the point of life's not fair to the point that you think, what's the point? Why try? Why have hope if you can keep if it can keep you from the mountaintop, it will put you in the valley. Psalm 73 is a very real look at the perspective of feeling robbed, of feeling like everyone else is getting the break, that it's not fair. It's very gut level and honest confession of the feelings we're talking about right now. Now, the book of Psalms, for the most part, is written by King David. This psalm is written by a guy by the name of Asaph, A-S-A-P-H. Asaph was the lead musician during the time that King David was king. And many believe he actually rolled over into the time of King Solomon. He was very popular. He wrote most of the music that people would have known. He led the choirs in the temple, which was the center of all culture. He was the Justin Bieber of his day. If he wrote it, people were going to know it. So Asaph writes this uh, psalm that we're about to talk about. And he starts by owning the problem. And the problem is the question that every one of us have probably asked. Here's the question. How is God good when the wicked thrive? How is God good when the wicked thrive? Let's start reading verse 1 of Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, almost given up on God. He almost quit on God. He says, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They had no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Asaph is starting off saying, it seems to me like the wicked get all the good stuff. Nothing ever goes wrong for them. Verse six, therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. For their, from their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. Another translation says they get everything they dream of. Verse 8. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. We look at the people's lives that Asaph starts his list comparing and there just doesn't seem to be anything good. Their pride, even their violence. It says pride is their necklace. And the necklace or a ring in this time frame was your, was your family insignia. It was what you would rule by. It was your sign of authority or power. It's like saying, here's who I am. These people actually identify themselves with how arrogant they are and how violent 
they can be. Verse 9. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters. In other words, every word that they say in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted. And every morning brings new punishment. Another translation says, every new morning brings me pain. So Asaph is writing, he says, here's them. Wicked, evil, bad. Getting all the breaks. Amassing wealth. Being influential. Here's me trying to do it right. Trying to keep my integrity. Trying to honor God and I wake up every morning in pain. Physically, emotionally, relationally, financially. God, I'm trying to do it right, and I'm in a mess. What's the point? How, God, is this fair, and how does this make you good? Charles Spurgeon was a pastor many eons ago. He has two quotes that I love about this specific passage. The first one, he says, It's a pitiful thing that an heir of heaven should have to confess I was envious. But worse still, that he should have to put it, I was envious of the foolish. His second quote, While many saints are poor and afflicted, the prosperous sinner is neither. He's worse than other men, and yet he is better off. He plows the least and yet has the most stuff. He deserves the hottest hell and yet has the warmest bed. God, how in the world does this seem fair? Asaph, our writer, is bringing us the very real issue, but he also introduces us to the very real solution. Here's the solution. We have to get a godly perspective. Get a godly perspective of what's going on. I love what Asaph does here. I love what he does. He catches himself. He pulls back on his words a bit because this isn't about smearing God's character. It's about frustration about what's going on. Verse 15. He said, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. Quick side note. Do we know that we don't have to say everything we're thinking and feeling? Do we understand that we don't have to post every day every feeling that runs through our body? That's a message for another day. Verse 16. When I tried to understand this, it troubled me deeply until, highlight this, underline this, highlight it if you have a digital Bible, until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then, light bulb moment, then I understood their final destiny. I stopped seeing things from the short-term perspective and started looking at things from an eternal perspective. Verse 18 and 19, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. Asaph is saying here, I tried to understand this on my own. I tried to watch life where A plus B would equal C in the moment, and it wasn't adding up. He says, I get into the house of God. I get into the presence of God. I back up from the mess that's going on and I start seeing things from an eternal perspective, then it clicks. 
by prayer and worship in the sanctuary, Asaph understood that God was at the center of all things. And he gained a fresh appreciation of both God and eternity. By hearing the word of God in the sanctuary, he understood that there was a truth that went beyond what is experienced in everyday life. By observing sacrifice at the sanctuary, he understood that God takes sin so seriously that it must be judged and atoned for. Atone means to be made at one with God. We can't just leave it to where it's a wall between us. For Asaph, this is the sanctuary of God. For us, it's the place where we gather and meet together. It's the church. Adam Clark's another pastor from years gone by. He wrote some things on this passage. I'm just gonna read it. He says, this is one of God's great purposes in establishing a place where his people can come to meet with him. It is never to imply that there is only one or only a few places where man can meet with God or that they must be ornate or glorious buildings. It is to emphasize that it is good to have a place separate from other places where we focus on a heavenly, eternal perspective. When Asaph went to the sanctuary of God, it only did him good because he connected with eternity, something that made him understand the end of the wicked. He didn't need to go to the house of God to hear about the news of the day or the same talk one would hear in the marketplace or the business office. Asaph needed the ultimate relevance, the relevance of eternity. If we come to church and all you do is you leave with a couple goosebumps and feel good for the moment, we've missed it. Understand the Bible is relevant today. It applies today. Its truth counts for today. But the bigger picture of Scripture is eternity. If you walk away, and great, maybe your kids listen a little better. Maybe you and your wife argue a little less. Maybe you figure out how to get your finances in order. But you don't understand the Jesus of eternity? We've missed it. The goal of the church, the goal of being with God's people is to, to realize the family we have for eternity. For me personally, with the season of life I've just come through, still working through, I, I'm grateful for a staff and an elder board who said to me, take the time you need to breathe. Take the time you need away. So when I came to church, I didn't have to worry about the coffee or the message or the music or the lights or air conditioner or anything. I came, I was the desert place that needed rain. I needed to be reminded of the hope of heaven and the joy that waits on the other side. Asaph had the same experience where life right now doesn't seem fair. But there's more to it. It was in this environment that he gets the wake-up call, the realization. Here's the realization. God can give guidance to wrong thinking. God can give guidance to wrong thinking. Verse 21, it says, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. God will give guidance, but it will cut against the grain of how you may be thinking life should be going. Asaph is basically saying here, my Jesus filter was off. I was looking at things from my understanding and how I wanted life to go. 
And even though I was there and God, I was asking a lot of questions, you never quit on me. Lord, you never abandoned me. Asaph says, God, you held me by my right hand. Anytime you see the right hand or the right side in scripture, it's relationship. God, you never quit on our relationship. Life may have been hard, I didn't understand, but you were there. You never let go. Even though it didn't seem fair, you were patient with me. You never abandoned me. You gave me good counsel after I got out of my stinking thinking, my own way of thinking, and got a hold of the bigger picture. This isn't the final destiny. We're not living the final chapter. You may be in a page in a chapter right now that you don't like how the book is going. As a matter of fact, some of you may be in the room, and I've thought this myself, if this was the final chapter of the book, I don't know if I'd have bought it. But the page will turn, and there are more chapters to come. And God is not done with the story. Isaiah 46.10 tells us he knows the end from the beginning. He knows the way this thing is going to play out. We need to trust him with that. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. This brings us to the last thing. This is the conclusion that Asaph gives us. Life won't make sense until viewed with an eternal perspective. As hard as you may want to try to connect all the dots of what's going on in life, it won't make sense until we have an eternal perspective. Verse 25, Asaph writes, Whom have high in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. But as for me, it is good to be near God. Can you say that with me? But as for me, it is good to be near God. Now I want you to say it to yourself. But as for me, it's good to be near God. You may feel like running away. You can get trapped in your own head when there's no other voices at night to hear but your own. As for me, remember this, it's good to be near God, to be in his house, to be in the scriptures, to be in that place of connection with him. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. I wanna close with one last illustration. So I moved here almost nine years ago now, about well, nine years ago, from Florida. I lived in Florida for eight years. Now, I had lived in the north before, but when you live in the south, especially that far south, for that long, you forget how life really works. I got down to Florida, and I'm a plant guy. I love landscaping. I love gardening. I work with plants. They never talk back. They never critique a sermon. It's awesome. So I'm working with the plants, and in Florida, I'm not kidding, I'd plant a garden. It would live for 10 months. I would plant flowers, perennials, or annuals, and they would never die. They would just keep growing. So you forget about rhythms and cycles. I had a collard green plant that lived for almost four years. It's about yay tall. I finally had to cut it down because the leaves got so tough. But I forgot how things worked. I moved to Wisconsin. Snow happens. And we got to the house we moved into, and I did some landscaping, did some gardening, and this, the darndest thing happened in October and November. Everything died. 
I'm looking at all my work and I'm like, no, you know, this is ridiculous. And my wife, who's from Cleveland, she's like, it'll come back. And I'm like, no, it won't. October, November, December, no, it won't. January, February, March, no, it won't. April, May, Mother's Day, see? But then in May, these little sprouts start out of the ground. Late May, start out of the ground. And part of me is like, they're coming back, but you do not want to get too hopeful because you've seen snows in May and you know what happens to plants after it snows in May, but there's a little sprout of hope. And you gotta do some work. You gotta clean up around it. You gotta fertilize. You gotta prepare the ground for some things. And as May turns into June, you begin to see it grow. As you get into late June, you begin to see signs of either flowers or maybe uh, a vegetable or a fruit coming out of the ground. And by the time you hit July, you start getting fruit from everything that was dead six months earlier. Everything that had no sign of life. You may be sitting in December right now thinking life is not fair but you don't know what's going on underground. You don't know what God is doing in an eternal perspective. Don't quit and don't give up hope. For some of you, December on the calendar is gonna be your July. You're gonna walk in here in flip-flops and shorts with a bunch of fruit and vegetables on your back. It's gonna be harvest time. Don't lose sight of the season because of what you see outside. Don't give up on life because of the season you're in right now. Seasons in life has cycles. Understand the season you're in in the moment. And it's tough. It's tough not to want to quit. It's tough not to want to judge because of the season you're in right now. It's easy to say it's not fair. But keep your head up and keep stepping one step at a time and keep an eternal perspective in mind. And remember, keep your eyes on the fruitfulness of eternity. It's where the reward is. It's not in the moment. When something hurts now, it's hard to think in the long term. The pain can be overwhelming. And yet that's exactly what the Bible tells us to do. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Some of you in the room right now are in a that's not fair season. You're facing December and January and the street lights are coming on at four o'clock in the afternoon. And man, you're beginning to wonder if you're ever gonna see the sun again. I wanna pray for you just for the strength of endurance to hold on to see what God may have in that next chapter, to keep your eyes on eternity and what he may be doing in the bigger picture of things. Don't lose hope. Hope deferred, scripture tells us, makes the heart sick. Don't lose hope. If that's where you are, this is your December season, this is your winter season, and you just feel like things aren't fair. You just raise your hand up. I'd love to pray for you as we close out this time of the service. Thanks. Thank you. All right, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. 
Others of you, this may be your July. And you're seeing things harvested. You're seeing things comes about, come about that you've been praying for, that you've been sowing into, that you've been working on for a long time. And we celebrate with you. Don't miss the moment to give God thanks for the good things, the blessings in your life as well. Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, I begin by lifting up those who may be in a dark or a cold or a dry season. And Lord, our hope, as Asaph said, our hope is in you. It's good to be near God. I pray that you'll help us, Lord, when it feels hopeless and when we feel alone, to remember we're not that you're with us as we talked about in the week when we looked at the 23rd Psalm, you're with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. When shadows are all around, you comfort us. Help us to keep our eyes on you as the author and finisher of our faith in every season. In Christ's name we pray.